Welcome to Straight from the Muzzle, folks, where we are anything but straight. My name is Space. <laughs> <laughs> you almost forgot. <laughs> and I'm Sparrow. It wasn't just that. <laughs> and we welcome you to our show, which is about what today? Today, we are talking about first rate reviews, the do's and the don'ts. <laughs> Let me just tell you what I was going through when I was saying it. I was All like, right. welcome to Straight from the Muzzle, where we are anything but and I almost said space. <laughs> <laughs> We're anything but space. And it's so, just me today, folks. Sparrow only. <laughs> so that, then after that, I'm just like, crap, I'm going to mess up everything. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Good job. What inspired you to do this particular topic? Yeah, because I was the one who brought it up. So I've been scrolling Twitter more and more recently, and I've noticed the past day or two, I've been seeing a lot of talk about how fursuit reviews affect fursuit makers. And this could be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the little nitpicky things that customers will talk about, about a fursuit that they get without considering the fursuit maker's perspective or just a bunch of little things. It's just been a hot topic on Twitter recently. And I was like, you know what? I think this would be a fun show because one, I'm a fursuit maker. But I've also bought fursuits before, so I could be from both sides. And space is purely from the customer's side. Oh, yeah. And you have your own strong opinions, too. So I was like, I think this would be a really fun, opinionated show for us to go through. And we're going to have some words coming straight from the fandom as well, because we're going to read a thread out loud to y'all at the end of this, y'all. <laughs> we're going to have a little story time. I love that you use, like, y'all. <laughs> You're just from what? Georgia, too. <laughs> Is that like, I mean, I know that like, hey, y'all, I usually think of people that use that are like from like Tennessee or I'm Nebraska. I know, but <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, just, I always thought it was interesting. Look, that's part of my <laughs> vernacular, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to let everyone know that we are recording this on January 22nd. So when you hear say last few days, you probably won't hear this episode come out until like the second week of February. So FYI. <laughs> but hey, at least, you know. <laughs> or first week. I don't know. It's one of those. But yeah, at least. So let's go into what are reviews and why are they so important? So a review is exactly what it sounds like. You are taking a product or a piece of art that you have gotten from somebody and you are breaking it down into specific components in order to tell others online whether it is a good investment or whether it wasn't worth your investment. So it's essentially a reflection of that product coming from the customer's point of view. And if you're still a little confused on that, you know how when you go to like a restaurant or a salon and then Google's like, hey, do you want to like rate your review of this place? Same thing. Same thing, but with fursuit makers. I hate those so much. I'm like, don't. don't No, I just like, okay, yeah, I went to a restaurant and then it like, no joke, within like minutes of leaving it, Google pulls up this thing and says, do you want to write a review? And I'm like, no, I'm driving. (laughs) Mind your business, Google. God, I didn't ask for this. I need to turn that notification off. I rarely write reviews unless I'm pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that Google will hide your reviews if you only write bad reviews? No, I didn't know that, but that's good to know. If you only write bad reviews, then it'll flag you as like a negative Nancy or whatever the fuck. And it's just to help keep things balanced because like what you said, you only write a review when you're pissed, right? And if everybody who's angry writes reviews, but everybody who is happy just leaves and doesn't write a review, then that business will look bad even if they have mostly good 
opinions on them. So it's a good way to balance it out. It's really difficult. Okay, so then here's what I want to know then. We're going to go into this. If it's just like what you see as positive reviews, how do we not know if it's just the maker or the maker asking their friends to make comments about that to make the business look better when in reality... No one really wrote a review. Well, I think with fursuits, it's a little bit. I think with actual businesses, that's more of a threat because like, hey, if I own like a boba shop and we're not the best and I have 10 friends that are willing to write a good review, even though they don't go to my shop frequently, Mm -hmm. that's an easier way to have some fraud, right? But with a fursuit, I feel like you still have to make your friends a fursuit in order for them to post a review on it. And a fursuit maker is not going to be willing to just make like three or five friends a costume just as a trade, like, hey, I'll make you a costume if you give me a good review no matter what. I feel like that is a really expensive and unweighted trade-off. So that's not going to be as much of a threat. You have to admit, though, that would be really interesting if someone has actually done that. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? That'd be a really, like you said, a really expensive but really interesting way to get customers. Yeah. Where can you read fursuit reviews? So you can find fursuit reviews on a handful of places. I know some people will just post them on like YouTube. With unboxing videos, a lot of people who post unboxing videos are also willing to post reviews. Or if it's a bad review, sometimes they're called bewares. Mm. You can also just find them floating around on Twitter. And they used to be on Tumblr a lot back when Tumblr was actually inhabitable. And of course, there is the website fursuitreviews.com, which is a specific website made for collecting reviews on any fursuit makers that get a review submitted. So it's a really great resource to go to as well. Oh, interesting. Okay. And Fursuit Reviews also has a Twitter, by the way. Oh, good to know. Mm -hmm. I have an additional question, but I'm going to wait until a little bit later to ask it. How can reviews be helpful? So reviews could be really helpful for... Of course, the customers, because if you're wanting to commission a specific fursuit maker, then you'll have, hopefully, you'll have a handful of reviews to pick through to give you an expectation of what might happen. So you can weigh the positives and you can weigh the negatives to see, is it worth it for you? So for example, if you're reading a handful of reviews on a fursuit maker and you notice that the three people who left a review, everybody had a good quality fursuit, they were happy with it, it was comfortable, but it took them two years to get it. So is that wait time that you're seeing in these reviews worth everything else that you're getting with it. So that way you can see an honest experience coming from a customer and it will help you make your decision about what maker you want to go with and what to expect when you go into commissioning that maker. And they're helpful for the maker as well if we want to go on to the flip side of this because if a maker doesn't have any reviews even though they have tons of customers then it could prevent people from wanting to get quotes from them because they're scared to so if you don't have any reviews it's just kind of a shot in the dark and some people do have to make that shot in the dark for the benefit of the group right because you're not always going to have a review on your very first commission and honestly that might be a bad thing because you're a beginner so Sometimes you have to do a leap of faith with a maker if they don't have any reviews. But if they do have reviews, then it helps that maker because it helps build a little bit of trust off the bat before that first payment is even made. Now, I could see maybe like a first-time fursuit maker doing the thing where they kind of just make fursuit heads or pre-mates 
and then giving them to their friends for them to look at, try on, and then make a review. I can see that being a thing. Yeah. And that might honestly not be a bad idea. You know, yeah, that is not a bad idea. And I've actually seen, well, I've only seen this once, but honestly, maybe it'd be a good idea for other first makers to try. If, let's say, you're a first maker and you don't have many reviews or you don't have any, a good way to encourage people to leave reviews, because it is a lot of work to leave a review, right? It's a lot yeah. of typing. It's a lot of thinking. You can offer maybe a discount. Like, hey, if you leave not a positive review, just a review, a neutral review. If you leave a review on the suit you get, whether you like it or not, I will give you like 5% discount on your order. Or I'll give you a free badge with your fursuit. That's not a bad idea. So offering something, maybe not a discount because I feel like, you know, that is a little tricky, but maybe something like a badge. Like you can draw and a badge a digitally bribe. after the review is made. Be like, hey, thanks for the review. Here's your badge. You know what I mean? Just something yeah. small like that. You know, okay. So I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank these last like month <laughs> yeah. or so. I love Shark Tank. I really do. I more or less like it because of how ridiculous some of the inventions are and they're so stupid. But a lot of things that I have been learning about, and it's been something that's been coming up almost like every other episode, is when the entrepreneur presents how they got the reviews, what they did to get customers feedback. And I think this might actually be a really interesting idea. But if you're going to go to a convention, why not create a booth with your fursuit stuff, not necessarily to sell them, but to get customer feedback based off of what you have to present. And then that way you can create or make edits to what you have and create a better fursuit. I guess you could say it's a different way of going about making your product, but it's another way to gain not necessarily customer respect, but loyalty as well Yeah, for the brand. So something different. Yeah, I dig it. How can a review be hurtful? So reviews can actually harm people in the fandom as well, especially people like makers and artists. And the reason why is sometimes... A review can be unfair. So let's say you're a fursuit maker and you have a really difficult customer. Maybe they keep changing the design on you, or maybe they keep changing what fabrics they want, or maybe they're making you feel rushed, even though you might have like a wait time stated in your frequently asked questions on your website. So if a customer is biased in some way or has these really high expectations, depending on who you are, they can leave a review that doesn't match up with the product you're giving them. It can also come from a place of ignorance. Maybe somebody is buying a fursuit for the first time and they don't know what comes with it. Maybe they have romanticized fursuits for so long that they see these as extremely perfect beings that come from gods and when you get this it'll be like a factory made thing in your hands and it's just not that so they might nitpick certain things that are normal on a fursuit and we'll talk more about that later when i told you about story time we're gonna read some stories about that i cannot wait till story time yeah story time is the best yes absolutely so Essentially, reviews can be harmful to a maker because it can make them look bad even if they've done nothing wrong or if they made a mistake that was small and shouldn't be blown out of proportion. It can depend. And we've seen this happen plenty of times, not necessarily with fursuit reviews, but call out posts in the fandom. I know sometimes there will be a call out post on somebody and the call out was not factual and that can just ruin somebody's reputation in the fandom, even if whatever the review is covering is untrue. So it can be harmful. It can be what's it called a double-edged sword yeah (laughs) 
I do want to say, though, just to kind of think about this, just because you call someone out does not mean it's going to ruin your reputation either, because it's going to ruin your reputation if you're wrong. And people will not trust you. So you might as well just think about it before you do a call out. Oh, yeah. Because it will come back and bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. Saw that happen last week. Somebody, I forget the name of the artist, but they made pride pins. They make yeah. pride pins online. And some furry mistook one of the pride pins as being a map pride pin when it wasn't. Oh, And they made a call out post on this artist and they responded with, that's not map pride. That's something completely different. And like it could have been a really big deal if they didn't shut it down so quickly. And everybody who saw it essentially replied to the person who was calling them out with, hey, you're being dumb. You didn't check your facts first. So luckily in that situation, the person who made the call out post got punished and people were blocking them instead of, you know, the other way around. So was the maker also themselves LGBTQ? I have no idea. Probably. I just want to warn people out there. I'm not going to say what communities, but I'm going to kind of hone in on one. One of the communities you never want to go up against is the gay community. I'm just telling you right now. LGBTQ, you call it whatever you want to. But if you're going to go up against that community, you better be ready for the onslaught that's going to come right back at you. It's just don't mess with us. (laughs) Finger snap. I don't know if you could hear that. Okay, so when you're writing a review, then what should you think about? That's a good question. So I kind of think of it into three different categories. And the first one that I want everybody to consider whenever they're thinking of writing a review or even just commissioning a maker is thinking about the context. All right, think about your context clues. Think about the situation that you were in or that you're about to put yourself in. So first, think about who is the maker you're commissioning. God. Just that alone starts everything off. So are you commissioning a fursuit maker like Multicolor Bart? Are you about to spend $8,000 minimum on a costume? Or are you about to pay a newer fursuit maker like 1000 bucks for a partial, which is extremely cheap? Wait, Multicolored Bart, is that an actual fursuit maker? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were like like talking about <laughs> Multicolored no. Bark, and I'm like, that's a really bark. odd thing to talk about. I think it used about. to be called Autumn Fallings. Um, Oh, okay, okay. I know what you're talking about now. I'm going to pull them up just because I want to see what this is. Yeah, so are you commissioning Multicolor Bark or are you commissioning more for less? If you are, that price tag is going to be a lot higher and your expectations are going to be a lot higher. But if you're commissioning a newer fursuit maker, let's say you're getting a partial for a thousand bucks, which is a great deal, uh, your context and your expectations are going to be very different depending on who you are commissioning. This ties into how much did you pay? Like I said, are you dropping 8,000 bucks on a custom dog costume or are you only dropping 1,000 bucks or 600 bucks depending on if you're just getting ahead or whatever. That also goes into play on how you write your review. You also need to think about that maker's website. I would only ever commission a maker that has a good website and that they have a FAQ. That means frequently asked questions. Mm, yes. Every fursuit maker in general should have a solid website with an FAQ and a terms of service as well, because those are two tabs that will give your customer all the information they should need about what it's going to be like to commission you. So for example, if you have a terms of service and it says your wait time is going to be a about a year. That way, if it's in your terms of service that that is your average wait time, in the review, they shouldn't be complaining that it took them a year to get their suit because they should have already known that. So having an FAQ, what are things you already know going into commissioning your maker based on what's in their website? 
Okay, so the next thing about the context is one of my favorite things. It's something that we kind of brought into our podcast a long time ago, and it's not a new thing. It's something that's been around for a long time, but we call it the triangle theory. And the triangle theory is very simple. There's only three things that go with this. You can have cheap, fast, and good in the triangle. So you can get something cheap and you can get something fast, but that doesn't mean it's going to be good. You can get something good and you can get something fast, but that doesn't mean it's going to be cheap. And you can get something fast and you can get something cheap. Wait, did I already go over that one? Yeah, you can get something fast and you can get something good and it's not going to be cheap. And if you get something cheap and fast, it's not going to be good. If you get something cheap and good, then it's not going to be fast. Yeah, there you go. That's the one that I missed. That's the one we missed. Yeah. It's kind of hard to like to go over those particular ones when you don't have the triangle like in front of your face. Yeah. And the idea is that you can't have all three. You can't have something cheap, fast and good. You have to choose two. You will never get something that has all three. Now, the interesting thing about the triangle theory is it's not just for the fandom. It applies to everything in the world that we live in. So you can literally use it for buying clothes or buying a car or, I don't know, going to a restaurant, things of that matter. But in this particular case, we're using it for first suits. And so this is really good. You can also use it for art as well, which is another great way to use the triangle. But like I said, this way we're using it for fursuit reviews. Absolutely. So if you're plugging the triangle theory into your context, let's say you got your fursuit and it was cheap and it's good quality, then that means it probably didn't get to you quickly. That means that maker took a long time to make it and you should be okay with that because you got it for a good, good deal. Plus it also might be in their terms of surface or it might be in their frequently asked questions as well. Yeah, yeah. Plugging that in back to the FAQ and the TOS. Absolutely. So consider the triangle theory when you get your fursuit. It's in your hand. Was it cheap? And was it fast? Maybe it's not the best quality. And you just got to understand that. And yeah, you can use the triangle theory as well as a way to ask a question like you just said, like when you're buying a fursuit, and maybe when you're like getting your first fursuit, you just want to get something because it makes you feel good because everyone else has one. That's one thing. But if you're wanting to get a quality fursuit, ask yourself the question, do I want quality? And do I want to get it fast? Or do I want to get it at some point? Because you may think I want quality and I want to get it fast. But that doesn't mean it's going to be cheap and it doesn't mean it's going to be good either. It could also be like run-of-the-mill quality. Yeah, average. Yeah, so just ask yourself these questions with the triangle. Now, one thing I did bring up just recently, not in the podcast, but behind the scenes, (laughs) because I wanted to kind of bring this out. When people write reviews to a fursuit maker, one question I have to ask is, was it a commission or was it a Mm pre-made? And I know on fursuit reviews website, they do make sure you specify. Because I have to wonder, like, what if you went and got it at an auction that was already a commission before and then you see the suit and it's not very good maybe because it has some wear and tear on it but then you take that experience and go to the original maker and make a comment that's not fair because you weren't the original commissioner so if you ever buy something from auction and it's not from the maker it's from someone selling a suit that they had gotten from the maker i don't think you should have the right to leave a review that should be off the table that's a good point i like that you brought that up i didn't think about it that way because when you mentioned earlier if it was a commission or if it was a pre-made, I was thinking, oh, did you commission a fursuit maker directly for your character or did you buy a fursuit that's unused, brand new, but a maker just made? Yeah. Because I say if you bought a pre-made fursuit from the maker directly, it's brand new. It's never been worn. It's never been owned by anybody. You are the first person to have it in your hands. Then yes, by all means, review it. Still consider certain things 
for example, the fit. So if you get a fursuit head and it's a pre-made, then it's made for a general audience. So it might not fit you 100% perfectly. Like maybe the body needs to be taken in or whatever. Then you need to consider that when you write your review. But if you are buying a used fursuit that has been passed around a couple of times from person to person, owner to owner, or even if it's just being sold from the original owner, I feel like because it's a used product... It's not going to be the same quality as it was when it left that fursuit maker's studio. So it's better for the original commissioner to do the review and not the brand new owner for it. And the brand new owner who does get it from an auction, if you want to leave a review, leave the review for the person who sold it to you. Because it's their responsibility to make sure that they give all the information that they can about the fursuit. That's what you can do. But don't go back to the original. It's not fair. It's unethical. Just don't do it. That's a good point. I'm glad we brought that one up. What's the next part? The build. The build. Yeah. So the next section I wanted to kind of bring up with everybody, once you think about the context, let's say you got your fursuit, you understand the context, you commissioned it, you have it in your hands, you've worn it. That's another thing to remember when you write a review, you don't want to review your fursuit right out of the box. You want to wear it for at least, you know, eight or 10 hours. Like if you go to a convention and then you like come back and then you write your review. like Stretch it out a little bit you, when yeah, you buy you clothes or shoes. Out. Yeah, because if you just pop that fursuit head on for the 10 minutes and then you're like, oh, this is awesome. But then you don't realize like, oh, I can't see anything when you're at a convention. That's too late because you wrote your review already. So yeah. make sure you wear it first. And then after you wear it for a while, consider the build. The build is what most people are going to be interested in when they're reading your review. And that's what you're going to be most concerned about as a customer when you get your fursuit. Exactly. And this is the build I'm referencing. It's literally what it sounds like. How is the fursuit built? What is the physical quality of the thing you just got? And the thing I like to focus in on the most is the visibility and the breathability. Because no matter how good a fursuit looks or how cool it is, If you cannot see and you cannot breathe, then those are two major issues. You can have a beautiful fursuit head, but if it has no open mouth or it doesn't have good eyesight, then you can't wear it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying by breathability, like it feels stuffy or it feels hot because all fursuits feel that way. I'm saying, can you breathe? Is it safe to wear? Not is it comfortable because you're going to get hot, you're going to get sweaty. It doesn't matter. But Can you breathe in it and can you see? Those are the most important parts of a fursuit head. You have to be able to wear it without dying. From there, it goes down to some more less important parts, but still important to consider when it comes to the build. So things like the seam quality. When you get a fursuit out and you put it on, you shouldn't have your seams popping all over the place. They might pop after you own it for a year or two because that's just natural. Like fursuits are something you're really active in. You're moving around a lot. There's a lot of friction. A seam will pop over time and that's okay. I'm talking about right out of the box. You wear it, you know, you own it for a while and it's sturdy. Think about your seam quality. Think about the fit of the costume, your bodysuit. Is it too tight? Is it uncomfortable? Does it chafe you somewhere? If it's too tight on your armpits or on your crotch or whatever, make sure you note that because that means that something either was wrong with your duct tape dummy or the maker did something wrong. I was just going to say that because mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that right there is... can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, that is also a double-edged sword. That's a good point because if you don't make your duct tape dummy correctly and the fursuit maker, that's all they have. Like, yeah. They don't know you. <laughs> they going don't know how high your crotch is what you up sent on them. your body. Yeah. yeah. It's not like an in-person tailor. It's not like you can walk into like a store that's like an actual physical store yeah. and have them tailor a fursuit to you directly. I mean, that would be cool, but that's not realistic, unfortunately, yeah. in our fandom. So 
That I don't know. I wonder if has anyone done that at a convention, like at a booth? A duct tape dummy? No, just like custom tailoring right then and there to get I the perfect seen, fit. I have seen repairs. I have seen booths offer small repairs on fursuits. Okay, so what I'm proposing would be really cool. Again, this is just for anyone out there that's listening or a maker. How cool would it be if you went to the convention, maybe you wanted to buy a fursuit from that actual maker, but they don't have it ready for you or anything? Instead of Chris sending them a duct tape tummy. Oh my God, I can't talk. A, a duct, duct tape tummy. <laughs> A duct tape dummy. What they can do for you right then and there is they can do a custom tailor where they can get all of your measurements from everywhere and then take those and make the fursuit. The only issue with that is that they don't have anything to build off of. They have well, to go I will off say, of yeah, even if you have measurements, you still need a duct tape dummy because yeah. measurements alone, you can't do much with that at all. But that'd be cool if they did the duct tape dummy there, though, because then that way yeah. you know for a fact it's made that- correctly. Yes. And if there was any issues with the actual fursuit, you know that it wasn't your necessary your issue. It would be the maker. I know so many makers offer tutorials on how to make a duct tape dummy on their websites now. And there are so many tutorials online. People should know how to make them by now. But yeah. there can be issues. I know for me, like this is something that I'm worried about if I ever choose to commission somebody in the future. Because I've made a duct tape dummy three times in my life. And every single time I get nauseous. I don't know huh. what it is if my body just reacts weird to being restrained like that. And then my sure they're not going too tight. I mean, we have a fan going and I have water. And every single time I get nauseous standing there like that and the last time i made one we had to do it where they taped up my torso and then cut me out of the torso and then taped up my legs and then we just taped the two halves together so i could sit down yeah that's probably pretty inaccurate but because i was making my own first it i was like i could tailor it to myself if it is inaccurate but it's like man what the hell <laughs> yeah but they could totally do it like in person now the thing is is they would have like a little private section that has like curtained off where yeah you can go in there and privately do what they need to do for you but yeah. that would be a really cool service because then you could be like okay well you can order online or you can do the duct tape dummy now and I will take so much percent off of your actual fursuit yeah be kind of a cool service Interesting. if it existed hmm. or like that could be a panel like byot bring your own tape yeah oh we workshop. should we should do that sometime <laughs> and then people oh, could just yeah. like walk around with their duct tape dummies yeah. around the convention <laughs> it would be hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> the what last about the part s- yeah Yeah, the last part of the build is honestly just the stability of the overall suit. That's the suit as a whole. You're not talking about just the seams or just the fit. How does the whole suit feel as it is cohesive? So, for example, like the bottoms of your feet paws, are they falling off? Are they glued on properly? Or are your ears tearing off or anything like that? Just think about the stability of the suit as it goes together. Things also like wrists and ankle length. You know, are your human parts showing or things too short? Yeah. Stuff like that. But the build is kind of self-explanatory, you know, just making sure what you have quality wise matches what you paid for. I just had a really good idea with the duct tape dummy. Uh-oh. <laughs> a panel. Okay. Instead of making like full-size duct tape dummies, what if we made miniature like hand-sized duct tape dummies based off of whatever model we give them? And then they can make their own fursuit like plush right there it's just tiny tiny yeah just glue on a couple of things have a couple (laughs) of materials that they can create like ears with and a nose and they can take that with them and it's something that they can take with them from the panel that would be hilarious (laughs) it it would look like a little voodoo doll 
Yeah, it'd be like a little, like, could we give them like a big old like popsicle kind of a thing? And then we put some fur on there and then they duct tape it and then they start adding stuff to it and they can just take this little like popsicle duct tape, you know, furry of themselves, a miniature <laughs> version around. <laughs> oh my God. It's like the opposite of 3D printing. You're just jamming a bunch of tape together. Hey, look, a thing. I, <laughs> I'm going to write this down because if we go to BLFC, I'm definitely going to do this as a panel. Nice. <laughs> All right. What's the last thing about writing a review? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the last thing, and honestly, I think one of the most important aspects is the customer service. So when it comes to customer service, that is how you as a customer and your maker interact with each other. How professional are you? And this can go both ways. When it comes to professionality, this can go both ways. Is your maker being professional towards you? And professional can still be friendly, but keeping it professional, no arguing or, you know, no flirting. And again, coming from the customer, no flirting, no arguing, no being aggressive. Is everything on a level platform? Are you remaining professional with one another? That can also tie into transparency. Has your fursuit maker been transparent with you? If there was an issue, did they let you know? So for example, I know with a lot of my customers, that's something I try to keep up with is transparency. So if I'm behind, so for example, when I was in college, sometimes my wait times would be much longer because I was in college. If I was struggling with something, I would go to my customers and let them know like, hey, I'm sorry, this is taking so long. I'm struggling with this right now. Or hey, I was working on your fursuit and I noticed that the fur that I ordered is not shaving well. There's a lot of bald spots, so I need to order more. So it's going to take another week to finish this. Is your maker being transparent with you when setbacks happen? Because that's also important. Your maker shouldn't just ignore you when those things happen. They need to communicate with you. Same thing from the customer side. Let's say you're a customer and something happens in your life, like a medical emergency, and you need to wait another week or two to pay your monthly payment plan. You need to be transparent with your maker. You can't just ignore them and not pay them. You need to let them know like, hey, can I get an extension because I had a medical emergency? Professionality and transparency go hand in hand. It's story time. Uh (laughs) It's my favorite part. So earlier you mentioned that, wait, did you mention that there was reviews done on Mm -hmm. Twitter? Yeah, I mentioned that we were going to read some tweets and the tweets are coming from the Fursuit Review Twitter. So it's at Fursuit Review. We'll put this in the episode so you guys can click on it and see Yeah, we'll put the link in there for you. And their tweet says, greetings, a question to all of the Fursuit makers out there. What is information you often see mentioned as negative in submitted reviews that are in reality something to be considered preference or nothing to worry about? Please reply below with any you can share inside on and there are a lot of replies to this and i am loving them (laughs) we're gonna talk about them but not making fun of the maker or the poster but more or less the people that have inspired them to say these specific things because of how ridiculous it is yeah some of these are really ridiculous some of them are kind of understandable and just comes from ignorance but some of them are (laughs) dumb And there's no specific order here. We're just going to like plop them out there because we can. Yep. All right. Why don't you go first? (laughs) Okay. 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 So there was one that Fuzzy for Creation said, you use the thread that is the same color as the suit. You should have used a different color so I can see the stitches. Like what? 
<laughs> Why would you want to see the stitches on your fursuit? Like, are you just checking to make sure they did a good job? Like, like are you some sort of special? That's kind of I a don't weird. Get it. That's like the opposite because then people are like, I can see the stitches. I don't want to see the stitches. Yeah, and I know fur is a really forgiving fabric. No pun intended. It's a really forgiving fabric. <laughs> so even if you are sewing like white fur, and this is I'm saying like normal length, like one inch fur. If you use black thread, it's still probably not going to show because the fur pile is so long. But you still want to try to color match the best you can at least when it comes to the tint so for example i when it comes to machine sewing so paw pads and stuff i try to match up but when it comes to just normal seams i either use black thread or i use white thread if i'm sewing a color like light pink or baby blue i'm going to use white thread if i'm sewing something with dark brown or like dark blue then i'm going to use black thread you don't have to use black or blue or pink and color match everything you can I think it looks nicer that way, but it's unnecessary. Can you imagine but if why someone would you used want, like... Why would you want to see your seams that extreme? <laughs> seems different. I wonder if they're talking about the seams from inside the suit. That's what I'm assuming, yeah. So, they so like, let's say the their body suit is black and the person used black thread and they're mad. They want, you should have used white thread so I could see the seams. Like, why? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't get why I would want to do that. I mean, that doesn't make sense. But it'd be really interesting if, if a fursuit maker actually used like fishing line. <laughs> You know, people used to back in the early 2000s. But the problem with that is that it can get really hot and then it stretches and breaks. I don't know. That seems really... Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's so (laughs) weird. What about you? You go next. All right. So there's one on here from Curlworks. They said, the fur is thin and I can see the backing when I part the fur. (laughs) Why are you parting the fur in the first place? (laughs) That's like complaining. And they put a picture with it. (laughs) Yeah, they put a picture and it's a doctor and it says, what seems to be the problem, Mary? And this old woman is like, it hurts when I do this. And she's like pinching her arm. And the doctor's like, then don't do that. God. Like, okay. So imagine complaining to your doctor that you could see your scalp when you part your hair. That's essentially the same thing. If you're complaining that you could see the backing of the fur when you part it, it's like, no, duh. That's how it's built. That's how it's made. I feel like a lot of the people that make up these concerns or like reviews are truly just some stupid and dumb people as opposed to the ones that are really like the actual issue. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. There's one here from a furry fursuit maker, and they said, when people say they waited a long time, but didn't mention that they had a very long payment plan to begin with or paid on time. It's just... What? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it took me like eight months to get it, but I really had a long payment plan and I haven't also paid them yet. Like, I don't... And that's happened to me. I had somebody, and this was a long time ago. I don't even know where this person is. They disappeared off the internet. But I had a customer complain that they had to wait a year and a half to get their fursuit, but their payment plan for like a $1,500 partial, they were only (laughs) paying me about $150 a month. So if you think about that, a lot of fursuit makers won't even start work until you pay off your costume. I was not one of those makers. I started work as soon as you paid the 30% down payment. Yeah. But I would pace myself based on how quick you were paying off your costume. So it's like, I don't want to have to finish your fursuit in a year and you're not even done paying it off yet. And then I just have to hold on to it for forever. That's a pain in the ass. So it's like, you can't complain about wait time when you're only paying your maker like a hundred bucks a month. (laughs) I think it's your turn. Yep. So one that I actually mentioned in this thread is whenever someone has a review and they mention shipping issues, they're like, it took forever to get here, but I like the suit. Like you can't put in a review 
any issue that had to do with shipping unless it was how it's packaged because the maker does that unless it has anything to do with like maybe the first head was jammed into a box that's too small or maybe it wasn't listed as fragile when it was a resin base something like that but if it's just on the fault of your shipping company you cannot blame the maker for that you could be frustrated at the situation but you cannot get frustrated at the maker that is not their fault as soon as that box leaves their hands it is out of their control and in the control of the shipper Mm -hmm. and let's all just kind of really think about the life we're living right now the pandemic Everything has changed in the pandemic. And now there's like clogging at the ports. So let's say you're getting it from an international fursuit maker and it's coming over on a boat. You think that boat's going to get here in two days? You think you're going to get your fursuit in two days? Hell the fuck no. (laughs) It's going to be stuck for a long time. And going on the shipping too, think about like actual fur, like the product that you're getting sometimes because of the pandemic or because of shipping, fursuiters can't get the quality that they usually get. And what if they do get that quality, but it's costing them more than what they normally would buy because of how expensive it is to ship? These are things I don't think people think about. They just don't. Yep. It's dumb. All right. So I found one on here. This is perfect because I wear glasses. (laughs) From Lightbringer Creations, they said, poor vision and too tight for glasses. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and say this one from a perspective of a customer because I get it, unlike some people do. Fursuit heads have never really been made for glasses. They've been made to wear the head. You have to tell the maker you have glasses and give them additional dimension so they know to put that additional space in the head. Otherwise, they're not meant for glasses. Mm -hmm. And even then, like I had a customer complain about not being able to wear glasses with a suit once, even though I gave them room for glasses and I myself am a glasses wearer. Yeah. And I gave them like two extra inches in the face area, all that stuff. And they were really upset with me. They were like, I can't wear my glasses blind. I don't like contacts. What am I supposed to do? How could I wear this? And I said, can you show me a selfie of you wearing your glasses? And they sent me a selfie and oh my God, they were wearing the big, you know, it was back in the 2000s when big bulky glasses were like the thing. I think they were called hipster glasses. They were wearing those. And I said, that's why they don't fit. You're essentially wearing sunglasses under your fursuit head. That's not going to work. You can't wear goggles on your face when you're wearing a fursuit. So now even to this day, if I accept a commission and somebody says they have glasses, I tell them to send me a picture of their glasses. Yeah. And I told them you need to find a spare pair of glasses that are smaller to wear specifically when fursuiting. And they about a month later, they messaged me again and they said, hey, I got spare glasses and I can wear this suit. I'm sorry. (laughs) They apologized. And I was like, see, wasn't my fault. (laughs) The other thing on there is poor vision. Okay. The only fursuits that really have great vision are protogens, those with giant eyes like bugs, Paco Panda, because his has a huge eye sockets on his. But generally, vision in a fursuit head is tunnel vision. You either look out the left, the right, and if you can see out both of them, it's not very great. It's not like yeah. you have a high-rated windshield in your freaking fursuit head. What were you thinking? <laughs> it can even depend on the species. So like, for example, yeah. Space, you and I are both bears. We yeah. have wide muzzles. Yep. So you're going to have a big blind spot in the middle. Sometimes that means you do have to look out one eye at a time. Or maybe you have a resin head. Like, I just made my 
myself a skull dog and it has LED eyes. So my vision is typically out one eye or the other because the, the LED glow, I had to cover it up with felt. Yeah. So it doesn't blind my eyeball with light. And so that stupid. takes away or even tear duct vision in specific realistic suits. It's going to be a lot smaller. So it just depends on the fursuit. It depends on the fursuit maker. You should still be able to safely see no matter what. Like I said earlier, seeing and breathing, that's like really important. But you're not going to have amazing vision. Now, going on with the glasses. So your first two head, I like it because it's padded and it stays on my head. If I were to shake my face up around, it doesn't move, which is really nice. And because of that, though, some of my glasses, because I have such a variety of glasses and they're all different shapes and sizes, they don't all fit in there. And even if they do, they fog up. So what I plan on doing, and this is something you should think about ahead of time, is if you know that you're going to wear glasses and you are going to send a picture of them or you're going to have to get a special pair, I plan on ordering a high quality like sports like glasses that wrap around the head with one of those bungee things and kind of almost feels like swimming goggles yeah and that they are going to be anti-fog and i'm going to plan on that will they work amazingly i don't know we'll find out but if they don't it's okay i can proceed without my glasses it'll be a little blurry but then again the vision isn't great to begin with so it's kind of is what it is you can also get what i think it's called cat crap and there's anti-fog sprays and all that and it helps a lot so if you do have glasses you can use anti-fog spray to keep them from fogging up i've been doing that for the past eight years before i got contacts and i only wear my contacts when i'm wearing a mask like a fursuit head or cosplay type mask because it's convenient but if you can't do contacts you can get anti-fog sprays but you have to reapply it like every hour or so but most people at furry conventions go into the headless lounge at least every hour anyway so just keep it in your pocket or whatever and reapply it as needed yep all right so another one that i really like from split grape soda they said I had someone complain that the felt eyeliner on their suit was glued down instead of sewn. Nobody sews that. Every single maker I know glues that down. (laughs) Oh my god. And then Bamboo Saber replied, Sewing down stiff felt eyeliner wouldn't look good anyways. People are wild. Which is true. The area around the eyes, it's typically like a black eyeliner to help give your eyes some dimension. It also helps you attach them properly. That is 90% of the time going to be glued down. You do not sew down eyes. And the reason why is because uh, for one, it's difficult. And for two, the eyeliner is so thin that if you do sew it down, it's going to pull at the plastic of the eyes, which can actually separate the plastic off of the back of the felt that attaches your eye to your face. So you have to glue it down. It's just the best way to do it. Should there be glob of globs of glue everywhere coming out of your eye socket? No. No. Not everything has to be sewn. And that's something that I want to add to this coming off of Split Grape Soda's point. Not every single part of your fursuit head has to be sewn down. It can depend on how much you paid for your suit. Like I said, always compare the price to your expectations. But there are a lot of parts that are better left glued instead of sewn. Like eyeliner or sometimes teeth it just depends it really really depends okay my next one it has a variety of things on it and they all are totally valid this one's coming from ally or ally they have like two sunflowers one on either side of their name but they point out some really interesting points lack of perfect symmetry complaining seams are visible on short pile fabrics lack of lining on parts that really don't need it like feet, hands, body suits. And then they kind of put in parentheses minus like digi grade, like padding, of course. Mm -hmm. And then complaints of response times being more than 24 hours, but less than one to two days. So let's break this one down. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you look in a mirror and you see that you have perfect symmetry, just know that no fursuit maker is ever going to have perfect symmetry. Why? 
because it's impossible unless you're printing it from an actual machine that is meant to do that. These things are created by human hands. (gasps) Shocker, which means they're going to be some differences between the two, but they're going to be as similar as possible because it's just impossible to do perfect symmetry. Your thoughts? I agree. So perfect symmetry is extremely difficult to obtain. Even when it is obtained, a lot of the times fursuit makers will do tricks like airbrushing or dry brushing to help even things out. Or maybe they're working on a 3D printed base, which is going to be symmetrical because it was printed from a machine. It wasn't hand sculpt. Even with resin heads, those had to be sculpted from clay First, we are only human. Things like markings may not be perfectly symmetrical or horns or what have you. Now, they should be fairly close. You shouldn't have something super lopsided, obviously. But if you're seeing some small differences from one half of the face to the other, whether it has to do with markings or whether it has to do with the head base itself, that is normal and that is natural. Now, the next part, complaining that seams are visible on short pile fabrics. Let me just ask you something, the customer. Have you ever heard of design? Or clothing, because clothing has seams on very short things. In fact, I was making fun of it, but I am wearing a nice vest that keeps me warm. But here's the thing. There are seams all over it. Am I complaining about that? No, because it's part of it. That's how that thing works. I'm not mad that there's a zipper down the middle of my freaking vest. It goes up and down. It's not a big deal. But I just think it's interesting that people are making complaints about seams being visible on short pile fabrics. What were you thinking? It's not long hair. It's going to be hidden that way. But if you shave the fabric down, you're going to see things. Yeah. If you can think of like a way to make it invisible, call me. I would love to hear it. There are some tips and tricks for certain fabrics, but it's unavoidable with a lot. Like I know with minky or with normal shag fur or with shaved down shag fur, you can brush seams out the best you can and to try to hide them or make them less obvious. But with things like fleece, with short pile fur, like beaver fur, anything like that, it's extremely difficult to pick the fur out of those seams. That's just how things are made. That's just how it is. You look at your clothes. Like I'm looking at my shirt right now. I have a seam down my arms around the cuffs. Like that's just how something is made. And that's just how it is. Now, if they're botched seams or fur is all caught up in there and it's obviously like chop job, that's different. But if it's short pile fabric, you're probably going to have some seam showing. And that's just normal. I'll skip the other two because there's more comments that we can go over. (laughs) Yeah, I have one. So Lobita Works or Lobito, they changed their name actually. Lobita Works said, people talking about fur texture like anything not silky soft is low quality. Softness versus coarseness has no bearing on the fur quality, which is so true. Nobody has ever complained on my work when it comes to different fur textures, but I have seen it before. The highest quality furs I have worked with personally have been on the coarser side. It's a lot thicker usually when it's coarser and a lot of more realistic furs will be more coarse. That's just how they're made. Just because it's not soft doesn't mean it's not good quality. One I saw here from Seasons Yeatings, they were saying, people saying, how they hated that it took their artists a few days to reply with updates. We have lives outside of your commission and we can't always give daily updates as we have things going on like school and work. Absolutely. And if you're expecting updates every couple of days, that's hilarious because a lot of the fursuit making process is not really work in progress friendly. I remember having somebody ask for a work in progress on their bodysuit and I told them I couldn't give them one because it was in a stage that wasn't able to be photographed. And they said, could you send me one anyway? I said, sure, but you're not going to understand it. And I sent them a picture of a bunch of pieces of fur just laying on the floor, like cut out panels that I haven't sewn together yet. And they were like, what is this? And I said, well, it's going to be your bodysuit in a couple of days. (laughs) 
And it's like a work in progress. You can't ask for work in progress pictures every week even because there's going to be times when even if your first suit maker is working on your suit only, it's going to have stages that are not ready for you to see yet. Or even it'll have an ugly stage. And all first suit makers know that there's an ugly stage because we are not going to want to send you a work in progress when it's in its ugly stage because you're going to get scared. <laughs> you got to give us a minute to get it out of that stage. Yeah. So another point that somebody made on here was talking about how the fur colors don't match the reference perfectly. And this is a huge pet peeve whenever I see this in reviews because I know most fursuit makers, if not all that I know of, will get permission from the customer before they order fur. So if I'm helping find fur colors specifically for a character, then I will color match the best I can, send the customer links like, hey, are you okay with these fur colors? And like, yeah, these are good. And then you order them. It is almost impossible unless your fursona has basic colors. If you have more unique shades to it, it's going to be near impossible to color match perfectly. It's just, it's not our fault that factories haven't made your specific shade of cyan. <laughs> Like, you just have to work with what you have. A lot of the times, people will have a fursuit-friendly reference that's different from their normal character reference sheet because there are going to be color differences. You have to trust your fursuit maker that they are sending you links of fur that are as close to your reference as they could find. Okay, so I've got one here from Louder for the People in the Back, Toy Dragon, and I don't know what the last part of that is but they said this is like a comment that i see that was kind of repeated multiple times throughout the whole thread but this is what they've said i don't know how best to explain this but exposed glue when i mean is if you look over your fursuit and you see a slight smear of glue or what looks like maybe the glue gun dragged over a bit it's okay it happens people are not perfect and they shouldn't be expected to be Definitely. Yeah. It's glue. <laughs> it shouldn't be a big old glue smear, but if you see a couple of strands that have some glue on it, just literally trim them off if you see it. Maybe we missed it. Sometimes you miss little things like that. Or brush it out. Sometimes you could brush out hot glue. It just depends on the type of fur you have. Well, and then let's just think about this. What is fur made of? What is the actual like plastic. base? Plastic. And what is glue or hot glue? Plastic. It's plastic. So it's all kind of like the same here. <laughs> you know, it's it's not a big deal. Jeez Louise. All right. The last one that I'm going to read is from a sleepy fella. And they said, hand-stitched work is not lesser quality than machine sewn. If the maker has the skill, it is just as good. There are a lot of well-rounded makers that will hand-stitch. You just do not notice because it is that good of a work. And this is true. A lot of the time, I have to hand sew specific parts versus machine sewing. So for example, with my fursuit heads, I prefer to hand sew those because I feel I have more control over all the tight curves that comes with a head. Or hand paws. Hand paws, I also prefer to hand sew versus machine sew because they're all these little divots and I just don't trust my machine getting those accurately. So hand sewing is the way to go. It does depend from maker to maker, but just because something is hand sewn does not mean it is lower quality and vice no. versa. Almost just because makes something it like is high quality. Sewn, yeah. And just because something is machine sewn doesn't mean it's low quality. It all depends on the maker and what they are comfortable with. If you think about it and you're getting something hand sewn, think about the fact that it is also attention to detail. There's more attention put to it, but that doesn't mean that machine sewn doesn't have attention to detail either. It really just depends on your perspective of it. Mm -hmm. You use different tools for different reasons. 
Just because a desk is built using a drill instead of a hammer doesn't mean it's not still a good, sturdy desk. (laughs) So my last thing to review, and this is a burn on me personally, and kind of a burn on Sparrow as well, just because we've used this term so much, but they kind of explain this in a different way that I probably won't use this term anymore. From Navask, and then Beast Cub also comments off of this as well, the whole cookie cutter thing, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. People pick a maker usually for their style, which is recognizable because of its appearance to the rest of their work. So tell me again why you're complaining they all look the same. So I will go ahead and say I really haven't looked into the term cookie cutter further than I probably should have. And I always say I have a dislike for fursuit makers that do cookie cutting designs because they all look pretty much the same. I haven't looked at the perspective that maybe that's just how the fursuit maker prefers to do it. Meaning they have a style they nail down. People come to them for that style. They know what they like. They know what their customers like and they're going to go with it. Simple as that. It works yeah. for them. Yeah, you know, that's a good way to put it. And if I use the term too, now when I use the term in future episodes, because I know I will, I'll probably, you know, put a little advisory out there and say like, I'm going to use the whole cookie cutter term for this reason. And I'm going to explain why I won't just use the word cookie cutter now, because it's not necessarily fair for me to do so now that I know more about the actual term itself. The only time cookie cutter really bothers me to... The extreme extent is when it's cookie cutter in a way that no matter what species the animal is, they all look like the same animal, especially canines, felines, dragons. Like if you're using the same base for all of them and only editing them a little bit, that's where I can see cookie cutter can become problematic. I mean, hey, if the customer likes it, then that's cool, whatever. But from an artist standpoint, I feel like you shouldn't be so cookie cutter to the point where your dogs, your cats, your dragons all look like the same animal. That's the only point that I think it's like, okay, at that point you're using the same base and you're using the same style as a crutch to get things done quickly instead of to create something more custom. When it comes to cookie cutter design, it may be a lot more, I guess you could say cheaper for the maker to do it, which allows them, like you said, to go faster with it and to have multiple, like they can pump out fursuits left and right. And if that's your job, then you have every right to try and pump them out quicker because that's how you make your money, you know? Exactly. But it's another thing when... They know that they're doing this. They're charging a higher price and the design does look the same. Like the face design is the same for each fursuit, regardless of the species. I mean, I feel like if you're going to go down that route, at least be willing to add some sort of dimension on top of that. So you could have like a cookie cutter design, but not for every species. Do it, you know, cookie cutter design for dogs and then have a cookie cutter design for cats. So that way, when you take those two dog and cat, they don't look the exact same, but the base may be the same. Yeah. That itself is okay. But when you're doing it like you explained it, that's when I have a problem with it. Yeah. And that's from a customer shopping standpoint. Exactly. Like if I have a dragon character and I want to commission somebody and I notice that all their dragons look like dogs, I'm not going to want to go to that person because I want my dragon to look like a dragon. I don't want my dragon to look like a dog. Now, as a review, I'm not going to go if I was a customer and I bought a fursuit from the maker that does the same base and the same like design, but it's it's a different fursuit, but it looks the exact same almost. I'm not going to really complain on the fursuit like maker's review because I knew what I was getting into. Yeah, you signed up for that. Exactly. So on that perspective right there, 
no customer has any right to make a comment on that because you're the one that paid for it. You knew what you were getting into. In the end, it's kind of on you. So there's just a ton of different comments on this thing. And I'm sure by the time that we post it, like on our actual episode, there'll be even more. Oh, yeah. So I highly recommend as a customer to fursuit makers, I highly recommend reading over this and then taking some perspective away from it so that when you do go and get a new fursuit in the future, you have more education. The best way to really, you know, get people to kind of see things all the way around full circle is to get them educated more. And this is a great way to do that. It's having, you know, like first hit review, post a thread like this that gives the maker an avenue to go down and say, well, this is what I've had from past people and it's ridiculous. So now you can see it from their perspective and then you can take that and think, okay, now I have the research and I have some education. I can go into getting a fursuit better with a better understanding. Absolutely. I am excited to see if Fursuit Review takes any of these comments that Fursuit Makers are giving them and applies them to their website somehow. Like maybe before you submit a review, you have to read this blurb that explains like, hey, make sure you consider your price versus your expectations or blah, 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 blah. Or I don't know, they might not do anything with it. They might have just wanted to start a conversation, which is also valid. But I am excited to see how the conversation goes further because I think it's a good conversation to have, especially now that there are so many Fursuit Makers in the fandom now it's really saturated but customers still kind of hyperfixate on the super high quality top 10 makers and i feel oftentimes because of that hyperfixation that people will have when they commission a cheaper maker they still have those extremely high expectations even though they need to lower them a bit for different people. So I am excited to see how this conversation keeps going. I am happy to see that it's giving fursuit makers an avenue to share their side of things because while there are reviews on fursuit makers, there isn't really a review on customers either. So (laughs) it's all very one-sided and I'm glad that artists are getting a chance to share their side of things. So if Fursuit Review is listening to this episode, I want to piggyback off of what Sparrow had said that if you do include something before the submitter can actually submit the actual review itself, that would be really good because now you're holding them accountable. So if there is really nothing that can hold up the review, it's on the reviewer themselves, they could be held accountable and they could also get in trouble for spreading fraud. And I think that would be a really good way to catch them in an act. So... Is Absolutely. it entrapment? Absolutely. And totally good. I'm okay <laughs> know, with this. I know First Suit Review does have a, a section on each review where the First Suit Maker can respond. So it does help. You know, you can fight for yourself a bit, but I feel like having that added layer would certainly be helpful. It would definitely be great. As always, we thank everyone for listening to our episode. If you have any questions or you'd like to write in a suggestion for a topic, you can do so by reaching us at talktothemuzzle at gmail.com. We also have something called SpeakPipe, which is where you can leave up to five minutes of a voice message. And if we like it, we'll put it on our next episode, probably towards the end. And that way we can give recognition to you. We have a Telegram group. You guys can join into it. It's not very many people. It's only like 85 members and that number goes down or up. It usually stays within the range of 85. Despite the fact that many people in there, only like maybe 10 or 12 people will actually chat. So you'll get to make some really cool friends. And it's, I think it's definitely worth it. I absolutely love reading that particular thing. And then we're also on Twitter at From the Muzzle. So you can add us if you want to send us a message if you want to. There's multiple ways to contact us. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we'll see you guys on our next episode, which will be about something, I'm sure. So until then, have a good day. Bye, y'all. Bye.